Now, when we thought, talk about grace, we have talked about in this series as we sum this up today, or at least conclude it today, we've talked about grace as being the unmerited favor of God. It's God's generosity to us. And so we're going to find out in one of these passages today that grace and generosity are really going hand in hand. We think about generosity, we think, oh, no, he's going to preach on, on money or whatever. You know, I, I'm over that. I'm going to give you a great opportunity to see things from a new perspective, perhaps, this morning as we talk about the generosity of the heart. And as we open up this passage, we've been going through the Gospel of Matthew, and I'm going to look back now at chapter, we've been in chapter 22. I want to look beginning in verse 15, and then I'm going to be going to another passage that the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 8 here in just a few moments. But what I want us to see this morning as I want us to see the problem of generosity. Now, you may be thinking, well, our church is pretty generous. I mean, well over half the people here tithe. But what about even beyond that? What about looking at something where you can say, I'm going to adjust my life and so I can make a greater impact on other people, no matter what kind of salary I'm making? The problem of generosity, the product of rejecting generosity, and finally, a prescription on how to get there. First of all, the problem. Look with me in Matthew chapter 22, verse 15. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle Jesus in his words. And they sent their disciples to them, to him, along with the Herodians. Now, the Herodians, a new group of people we haven't mentioned before in this book. We've talked about the Pharisees, the legalists. We've talked about the Sadducees, the liberals who didn't believe in the, super, theologically liberal, did not believe in the resurrection. What about the Herodians? Well, this is a whole new group, didn't get along with either one of them. And the Herodians were those that really favored King Herod. They favored the Roman Empire in a great way. And so we know very little about them, but they're coming and getting involved in this as well. Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by their appearances. Now, it looked like they were buttering up Jesus, and that's exactly what they were doing, because they were about to try to trap him. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin of the tax for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar and to God's the things that are God's. And when they heard it, they marveled and they left him and went away. Now, the message of this passage is really kind of on the surface to one, one thing and then underneath the surface, something else. The message is, hey, look, you owe taxes, pay your taxes. But Jesus used it for a great teaching moment. And he says, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. You owe the taxes, you pay the taxes. But you then take what is God's and give it to God. Now the question is, what does God have? Well, Psalm 24:1 says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof the world, and those who dwell in it. What it's saying is, is this. God owns everything, every single thing. You say, now, wait a minute. When you're talking about money for just a moment, Pastor, you need to realize in possessions, you need to realize that there's some people in this world that are just plain lazy, okay? And I've, I've got, the go, I, I got the talent, I have the effort, and I have the work ethic to get it done. But even Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, it says this. God says, you shall remember the Lord your God, 
for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. God gives you that power. You say, well, now, wait a minute. I've got something to do with it. Yes, we do. But let me ask you something. Would you be as rich right now and wealthy right now as compared to the rest of the world if you were, say, an engineer in Tibet in the 13th century? How about a tech guy in the 19th century out west? How about that one? A sharecropper here in the south somewhere in the 16th century or the, or the 18th century. What about that? You say, well, no, I wouldn't have as well. In fact, I, wouldn't, I don't know if I'd have the education that I'd do now, much less the opportunity. We live in a world of opportunity. In fact, we live in the land, really, of opportunity. There is no greater opportunity, perhaps, in the world that's ever been financially than what we have today right here in this country. You've got an opportunity to education like you've never had before. Yes, if you go out there, if you really work for it, you can, you can have it. But who gives you that ability? It's God that gives you the ability. Now, where did, then do we come in? The Bible tells us that we are stewards. We're like a manager. Steward is an old English word. We're managers of another's household or possessions. That's what a steward is. That's what it was back in the Old Testament and New Testament times. A steward is a manager of another household, another's household or possessions. And if you don't believe that, you say, well, no, I own it. I own it. No, God owns it. If you don't believe that, you've came, you've came into this world with nothing. You're going to leave this world with absolutely nothing. I've never seen, the old saying goes, never seen a hearse pull a U-Haul. Think about it. You leave it all behind. How much did he leave? He left it all. We are stewards and managers. Now, when we talk about that, we're talking about more than money. We're talking about our time. We're talking about our energy. We're talking about our possessions. We're talking about the gospel. We are responsible. We are stewards of the gospel of Jesus Christ to get the word out to everybody in the world. Now, really, we're talking about the lordship of Christ, aren't we? If Jesus Christ is your Lord, you recognize the fact that he owns everything. And we are here to manage what he's entrusted us with. Now, when we see ourselves as the owner, we'll inevitably see ourselves as the master of our own life. That's why stewardship and lordship go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. Larry Burkett, who, has, uh, who was really a financial guru, you might say, especially among Christians and how to uh, budget and how to tithe, things like that, uh, gone on to be with the Lord. But he said this, when we view money and possessions as belonging to us, we inevitably begin to look at every aspect of life the same way. We become the person in charge and God becomes our servant. Now think about it for just a moment. Have you ever heard the phrase, the golden rule? He who makes the gold makes the rules. Yeah, if you think you own your gold, you're going to make your own rules. That's what he's saying. You become not only the master of your money and your possessions, you become really the master of your life. And therefore, we're reluctant to give away what we feel like we own. And so money and possessions can become a god in our life, an idol. Now, I know there's a lot of things that can become idols, and we've talked about that from sermon to sermon. And might talk about another idol a couple of weeks from now, and mention that, but money is one of the biggest idols in the world, and certainly in America. It gives us our security sometimes. 
You know, we have retired people. I'm I, uh, talking to a guy that's a minister that is uh, a few days older than me, and um, actually more than that, and, and he's thinking about, you know, the retirement. He says, he says, Dwayne, there's not a day goes by that I don't look at my retirement account. And he just starts laughing at himself. Why is he doing that? Well, because he's, he's concerned about the money running out before his life does. All right? And when you're thinking about that, think about it for just a moment. What are we trusting in when we feel like that? Well, we're trusting in the job. You know, we see the paycheck every week. We think, well, that is re- what's really getting me by. I mean, I praise God for the job, praise God for, uh, for the finances, but really, it's, I'm trusting in the job. We trust in it for our significance. I, was, uh, I watched a movie years ago on television with Ted Danson was the star, and he said that making money really makes him feel like a man. It's our significance, our sustenance. We, we begin to trust in the job. For example, you know, we have a lot of people today saying, well, there's an entitlement going around. People are going to trust in the government rather than God. And that's true. But there's others that trust in their job and their paycheck that they're getting every week rather than trusting in God. We, we trust God for our sustenance. And, and, and we think to ourselves, well, what about my parents? My parents are going to always get me by your trusting and your parents for the money. And so we look at this and we ask ourselves, well, what's going on here in our life? Well, greed then becomes a little bit of a problem, and maybe a big problem. We become, if I, if I use this word in church, stingy. Can I use that word in church? Is that all right? We become a little stingy, okay? And so we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and in this passage, the uh, Paul is writing to a church in Corinth. Now, here's what Corinth, Corinth was a kind of a wealthy church, wealthy city. And in this church, they were Greek. Or in other words, they were Gentiles. They were non-Jews. And they had pledged to give an offering to the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem was poor, and it was Jewish. So just really the opposite. But they made the commitment. And he's writing to them now and says, look, you've made this commitment. You know, filled out a card or whatever. And you made this commitment, and you've got to fulfill it because they need it. And he begins to give an example of the church at Macedonia, another Gentile church. He says, I want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Underline the word grace there. For in the severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Underline generosity. Notice what he's doing here. Paul is saying grace, generosity, same thing. He's comparing them so close that you really are not distinguishing the difference in this passage. And he says, on their part, for they gave according to their means, and I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not only as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. He says the first thing the church at Macedonia did was, was just receive Christ as Lord of their life. Look, Jesus is the master of my life. It's just the question is, God, what do you want me to do with the gospel? What do you want me to do with my money? What do you want to do with my time? How, how kind should I be to one another, to, to other, everybody else? How loving should I be? Well, you take your lead from Jesus Christ every time. Why? Because first they gave themselves to the Lord. I, put, I posted a, a video on Facebook or reposted it from someone else. And some of you saw this. We're going to show it. 
It takes about three minutes, okay? So hang in there, all right? It goes a little long, it seems like, but just hang in there. It's got a great message. Can we run that? Great message, no matter what you're talking about, right? We, um, if generosity is a problem, it becomes a problem really of the heart. And what it said there is just what the Macedonian church was experiencing. They needed the offering themselves, the people there. I'm not talking about this institution called the church. The church does not have, no, no church has any money. They just don't have it. They only have funds that come from the people. These people of Macedonia needed it, and they gave it away. So we look in verse 6, and it says this. According, we urge Titus, that was one of Paul's um, disciples, I guess, one of his, his uh, guys that he was mentoring, that he has started, and he should complete among us this act of generosity. Oh, no, it says this act of grace. Verse 7. But as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all earnestness, look, we, we want you to have grace in everything, that you excel, excel, not get by. You excel in this grace, act of grace also. I say this not as a command. Look, no one is saying this morning, just like the Apostle Paul, that you have to give money. This is not a, a mandatory tax or anything like that. This is all voluntary. He says, I'm not, I'm not demanding you, but an earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. How do you show that genuine love? You give yourself away. How do you show, show you love God? You give your heart to God. How do you show that you love your neighbor as yourself? You give yourself away. Verse 9, but you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. He's talking about spiritually here. He became poor by dying on the cross for our sins that we could be rich. So what is the product of resisting this? I want us to look <clears throat> in just a moment. We're going to turn to verse or chapter 9 in just a moment. As we looked at these verses just a few moments, just a few moments ago, look at verse 15. I'm going to skip down to verse 15. This is a large passage, the largest passage on giving, chapters 8 and 9 in, in the whole Bible. And I don't have time to read them all. But let me just read verse 15. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. What's it talking about? In the Old Testament, when the Israelites were traveling through and going to the promised land, they went through a place called the wilderness, and they were there for 40 years, actually, and God fed them. There was just nothing to eat much around and, uh, during a couple of their stops. And so he had manna, called manna, bread, falling from heaven in the middle of the night. They would go out then and pick up the manna off, uh, uh, you know, off the, uh, the, the grass or whatever was there, the dirt, and they would bring it, bring it into their tent and eat it for the day. Now, God said this. He said, take what you need, but don't take more than you need. If you take more than you need, it's going to rot in your tent. Some people took more than they needed. They just thought, I can't trust God for tomorrow. What if the manna doesn't fall tomorrow? I've got to take enough, maybe two or three days. They put it in their tent, and it rot and stink even before morning. And what is Paul drawing a reference here to? He says, look, it's not that you shouldn't save some money. It's not that you shouldn't do some of the things you'd like to do in life and reward yourself a little bit. He's just simply saying this. If you take more than what God wants you to take, it's going to rot your soul. Greed is going to rot your soul. The Bible says... 
For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Money's fine. Anything, a lot of things are fine in life, but when we begin to love it, something changes within our heart. Money became, can become an idol. Not only that, but money corrupts people. If money is the most important thing to you, then it's pretty obvious that you're going to be able be willing to do anything to get that money. Also, money can become the source of who you are. You know, this is how much you make, so you feel superior to somebody else. That could happen in a lot of things. You could feel intellectually or talent-wise. You say, I've got more talent than that guy. But money does that. Money feels like it gives you all kinds of options. And even though a lot of things can become an idol in your life, when you have money, you feel like you're an expert on everything. Therefore, it can really become a fall. We look, and we can see our insecurities, how we become stingy, and we miss God's blessing in our lives as we don't trust him. So what's the prescription for this? There's really a twofold thing. First of all, you got to look at where you're giving your money. you got to look at the vision of the harvest. I know a lot of people would say, well, I want to know where my money goes. You ever heard that before? I want to inform you of something, though. It's not your money. So well, that's offensive. Okay, let me reword that. Let me take it back. I take it back. Money, as we've already established, belongs to God. And so you don't own it. And as we look at this, we say, well, what, about, what am I going to get out of this? I mean, after all, I'm going to invest in God's work. What am I going to get out of it? Well, look in verse chapter 9. We skip over to that at verse 6. And he says the point is this. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And he goes on to say, each one must give as he's decided in his own heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Again, it's not under compulsion here. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency and all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Now, we take this passage and we say, well, what that means is if you sow a seed, you're going to get more money. If you sow money, you're going to get more money. Now, I know there are passages in the Bible that refer to this. It's talking about, it's talking about you know, it's raining down, flooding over, and things like that. I know that there's parables about the tenfold and the hundredfold, but this passage is talking about something else, and we miss it because we're not farmers. When you sow a seed, what do you want? You, you put the seed in the ground, and this tree, this orange tree, we'll say, grows up, citrus tr- fruit, grows up, and what do you do? Well, you know, it's, it's the harvest time. So I'm going to go out and I'm going to pick these seeds off the tree, right? I'm picking the seeds off. No, you don't want seeds. Seeds produce fruit, which is much better than the seed. Now, they're, they're, you know, you say, well, what, what about the seed? Well, you open up the orange and, of course, there's seeds in it. But that's not why you're growing it. You're primarily growing it for the orange. So he says, you sow a seed, meaning in this case, money, you're going, to have, you're going to reap a harvest of something else. And what is that? He says the fruit. Now, that could be some passages, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kindness, self-control. In other words, when you give, you're going to mature. When you give, it's going to change your own heart. And if it doesn't do anybody else any good, it's going to do you some good. 
because you're going to have a whole new life because of it. But also in the Bible, a fruit, the fruit is another Christian. It's another person. Listen to me very carefully. It's another person being led to Jesus Christ. John 4, 35 says, Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. You're going to get a blessing of seeing other people come to know Christ. We've heard the testimony of our brother this morning, Rod Gilbert. But in our own situation, we've had 12 mission trips this past year. We've gone to Brazil, Haiti, Costa Rica, Wales, Cuba, India, New York, Houston, Miami, and Lakeland, Florida, with our young people going there. We've had a great vacation Bible school this year. We've had uh, Haiti shoe boxes that we've filled with Christmas presents for the kids in Haiti. We've started a church in Haiti. Because of the offerings of last year, we've joined with Compassion International, and we spent a large portion of an offering to start a church so Compassion International can also come in there and minister to the rest of the children. They have, ba- they, they have had 176 salvations since the first of the year when they started it there in Haiti. They're beginning to get all these kids sponsored and involved and growing up in Christ and growing up to be a better citizen as well. Secure Oviedo Schools. We were able to raise now $79,000 to join with the sheriff's department and join with the, uh, the superintendent of the public schools and the school system to put cameras and by the way, a new video system in two of the high schools. We were hoping to, with the excess, we could go into the middle schools, but they needed a new server. That, you know, the old, the old cameras couldn't add anything. They didn't know that. They got a whole new system in. But listen, instead of the high schools having to look at a monitor the whole time to see if anybody's coming in, the police can look at that monitor, for, monitor from where they are. They can look at it from a car because of the upgrade of that. That's going in this month and next month into our two high schools. Redemption Hill, that my son will be coming and preaching about, a little bit about, and telling us about 300 people in two years. 72 people baptized just in the last six months. All of these things are happening. We're not there. Most of you have not been to Redemption Hill. Most of you have not been to the Haiti church. Most of you have not been to India. Most of you could not play golf maybe in the Secure Vito Schools tournament. But you gave. And because of what you gave, it made a difference in people's lives. So then, I close by saying there's an obedience to the calling, therefore. You've got to look at the calling. You're never more like God when you give. It begins with the act of tithing. We've mentioned that before. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse. There may be food in my house. And thereby, thereby put it to the test, says the Lord of God, your host, And I will open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. The the number 10, the tithe, 10%, is the number of completeness. So every time I give a tithe, whether it's through the website, realm, or check, I'm reminded everything that I have. Listen, everything I have belongs to God. I'm reminded of that. The purpose of tithing, the Bible says in Deuteronomy, is to teach you to always put God first in your life. But where's the storehouse? In that verse, it's here. 
You say, well, you know, I want to know where my, I, I want to just send my money on the mission field. And so therefore I normally give 10%. So I'm going to give two to the mission field or three to the mission field and seven to the rest of the church. I've had people that tell me that I don't whittle all the way down to 2%. Now, why was that not good? Well, we could not have, for example, a missions conference for many years because we didn't have the money to put it on because people were whittling it down. What church would continue to say, hey, look, we're going to have to, I don't know, some churches lay off staff. We're going to have to rent out the building. We're going to have to do this. We're going to have to do that. Cut back on utilities. You're going to have to sweat during the services. What, what church would do that as, as we're, as we're uh, supporting something else, someone else? Very few people would go down the street, no matter how much they love their neighbor, and sacrifice money that they need to be spending to feed their own children to go out and feed somebody else's, all right? And so the storehouse is this. It's the house of God. But what about giving above it? That's what mission giving is all about. Giving above the 10%, giving above what we need in order to prepare people for the mission field, prepare people for the ministry, prepare people for life. So, well, I don't, I don't want to pay for a, a building or minister's salaries. Well, thank you very much. I don't want to pay for a building and utilities and all that, then we won't have a place to meet. Well, you can rent. It still costs you money. And you don't have a place to meet during the week. It's like saying to your kids, look, I'm not going to send you to school, I, but you wanna, if you want to be a doctor, just go out and be a doctor. If you want to go out and be an engineer, just go out and be an engineer. I'm not going to send you to school. Nobody's going nobody's to teach you anything. You're just going to have to learn it somehow on your own. We're here as a base to prepare people to live the Christian life out in the community to be attractive. And so we're talking about generosity. We're talking about going over and above, giving from the heart. That means, to yes, we work hard. That means to adjust budget. That means spending money, less money on yourself. And you say, well, I just don't feel like it. Well, that's what these verses are all about. Verse, chapter 9, verse 6, it says, so sparingly reap sparingly he says God loves a cheerful giver just go ahead and give it cheerfully and expect the feelings to come in kind of later all right listen to me very carefully as I close I want you to notice something that was key to this passage in verse 15 it says thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift what's he referring to he's he's speaking here of the greatest gift of all and that's Jesus Christ if Jesus Christ has come into my, my heart, which he has, and your heart, and my, my wife and I, just as an example, just to tell you, you know, yes, we, we did start out our marriage in poverty, adjunct poverty. The church mouse was more wealthy than us, okay? But God has blessed us, but we've, even during seminary, we gave, we tithed to the Lord and gave above it as soon as we got out of church got out of school even though we were church planters we've always given above it and God is blessed but the key is is not how much you give the key is who has your heart and the gift he's talking here about is Jesus Christ is Jesus Christ your Lord does he live within your heart that's where it begins that's where we, we don't have to watch my time. I don't have to watch my money. I don't have to watch this. I just be obedient to God because he's my Lord. Now, what about you today? Have you ever received him? One of the great stories I've, I've heard 
was when Larry Reeser first came and started our Global Impact Conferences 20 years ago. And he shared the story about going into the mission field, and he was in Africa, and he was in one of the remote, very remote villages of Africa. And they were having a church service, and people started pulling off their clothes. So what's going on here? Well, they were layered. They had several layers of clothes on, two or three layers. And he said, well, they're trying to start a church just a few miles down the road in the wilderness, in, in the jungle. And they're going to auction off, they're going to sell the clothes in order to do that. So they got down to one layer of clothes. They pulled off everything. So no, we, we want people to know Jesus like we know him. And then several of them started crying. He said, what's going on? He said, well, they're crying now because they have nothing left to give. They gave, even at a point when they needed it themselves. And that's what Jesus did for you. He gave you. You would not be here. You would not be saved today. It was not for his inexpressible gift. With heads bowed and eyes closed. This morning, if you've never received Christ into your heart, I want to invite you to do that right now. You can do that by praying a simple prayer with me. As I pray aloud, you can pray silently. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for going to the cross and dying there for my sins. I open up the door of my heart and I ask you to come in. Please forgive me of everything that I've done. Help me to follow you. Help me to see you as the Lord of my life. Free me up from the bondage of other, other idols in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, I'd like for you to take the uh, welcome card that was, you, was uh, presented to you earlier and that's in your bulletin this morning. I'd like for you to take it, take it fill it out in the front, and then on the back it says, My Decision Today. I have decided to surrender my life to Christ, upper right-hand corner, and if you pray to receive Christ, I want you to put a little check in that box. And uh, then place it in the offering plate when it's passed in just a few moments. And so as we do that, you start filling out the card right now. I just want to encourage you uh, to do that. Fill out the front the information that we need. And then over on the back, prayer requests. If you receive Christ today, go ahead and put a check there. I'm going to give you about 30 seconds to go ahead and fill out the card. And I'll ask the ushers to come forward and be ready. Not right now, but come forward now, but be ready then to share, uh, take up the offering here in just a moment. Father, we come to you in prayer in the name of Jesus, and we thank you, Lord, for all that you've given us. Most of all, your son, that just makes this all possible. And what, what, what freedom it is not to be involved in, in greed. What freedom it is to be, have a generous heart. I pray that we would all experience that in our life beginning today. I pray that we give not just of our possessions, but also of our time, our energy, our love toward others. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.